Welcome to McCullough Christian Center's broadcast today. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.purposemcc.com. And now, here's our pastor, Cornelius Phillips, with today's message. Hallelujah. If you will, stand with me, please, and take your Bibles and turn to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 54. Some of y'all said, Pastor, why do we have to stand and sit so much? Good for your body. Amen. Isaiah chapter 54. I want to bring this word this morning. <clears throat> Actually, I had this, uh, the Lord had dealt with me about this last Sunday. And um, the service turned in a direction uh, that uh, left me behind. And so uh, Brother Patrick got up and spoke a word and, and, uh, and just went really right along with what the Lord had been dealing with me about. That's the beauty of, of the Holy Spirit working in service. That when the songs and even somebody that wasn't even scheduled to, to speak could get up and speak and he could speak something and I say, wow, I've, I had that scripture in my notes. Uh, and so it just lets you know when Holy Spirit is working together and moving, things are flowing together. And that's when people's lives are changed. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. But I want to I talk to you for just a, a moment this morning on the subject of breaking the barrenness. Breaking the barrenness. In Isaiah chapter 54 uh, we're going to begin reading with verse 1 and read down through uh, verse 4. Sing, sing, O barren, thou that did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, thou that did not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Verse 2. Enlarge the place of thy tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes. I want to point something out right there that I might not mention later on. I want you to notice what Isaiah is prophesying to the nation of Judah. And in verse 2, he tells them to enlarge the place of your tent. And then he says, let them stretch forth the curtains of their habitations. And then he uses that word, spare not, or those words, spare not. In other words, take off the boundaries. Don't come in with a little dab will do you. Y'all young folks don't know what that, that means. But he said, spare not. Don't, don't just do it just a little bit. Don't, don't lengthen it out. 
a couple of inches, he said, spare not. Spare not. Lengthen thy cords and strengthen thy stakes, for thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left. And thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame. For thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth, and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood any more. Thank you, Father, for your word. Lord, I thank you today that your word is powerful, it's living, sharp. So let it do its work today, Father, through the work of your Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can take your seat. I want you to I want to go back to that final verse where Isaiah prophesied and he told the people, he said, Fear not. Listen, fear is one of the biggest things that will rob you of what God wants to do in your life. He said, For thou shalt not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame. And I want you to notice something here. He said, For thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth, and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood anymore. When Isaiah said, You will forget the shame of your youth, he was Isaiah was talking about, he said, You will forget the shame of your bondage in Egypt. Because that is where God birthed the nation of Israel, was in bondage in Egypt. What started out as a blessing uh, was just an incubator for God to form a nation and to bring a people together. But as it progressed, then The devil saw an opportunity to bring the children of Israel in bondage. And and in that bondage, they became uh, uh, slaves to the Pharaoh. But God said through Isaiah, Isaiah prophesied, and he said, "When, when this happens, I want you to forget the shame of your youth. There are times when I say stuff, there's times when I speak that, that I know it's, it's a word from God, but then there are times when I say stuff that I know that there are people that are listening that you are still in bondage. You're in bondage to fear. You're in bondage to shame. You're in bondage to some things that took place in your life, maybe in your youth. And then Isaiah said, I want you to not remember the reproach of your widowhood. And what he's talking about there is I want you to forget about uh, the time that because you sinned, God took you into bondage under the Babylonian rule. He said it was a time that because of your sin and because of your failure and your rebellion, God said, I literally divorced you. He said, but I want you to understand that I am about to do something, that you're going to forget the shame of Egypt. 
and you're going to forget the reproach that was brought against you because of your widowhood. Listen. Here's the thing that I want you to get out of this passage of Scripture. Isaiah is prophesying this, and the bondage has not even begun yet. He is prophesying this, and the captivity has not even begun yet. But what he is prophesying here, what he is saying here, is that I want you to understand that when these things happen, there has got to be a word that will come out of your mouth. And he said, "When if you will do what I am telling you to do, says the Lord, if you will understand that what I'm telling you to do is going to be the key to breaking the chains and breaking the bondage. You see, at the time that he was prophesying this, the nation of Judah was in spiritual bondage they had backslidden on god rebellion was everywhere it's kind of a lot like where we are today as a nation with millions of babies being aborted every year with laws being signed on a consistent basis that 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 uh put a chokehold on religious worship that try to tie down the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. All those things, things like uh, uh, the, the creation theory or whatever it's called, it slipped my mind, evolution, things like that. All those things are, have rushed in and the devil is doing everything that he can to silence the church. But I want you to understand, that's where we are. We're reaping the rewards of fatherless homes. We're reaping the rewards of silent Christians. We're reaping the reward of, of, of the church that has set back in neutral for years and years and allowed things to come. And now we're reaping the reward. And lawlessness is everywhere. Now, now rules and guidelines and, and laws are being passed that are, that are further choking the church. But what are we to do? What are we to do? That's where Isaiah was. That's where Isaiah was prophesying to the nation of Judah. The, the, Judah was the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had already fallen into captivity because of their sin. Isaiah was standing before a nation of, of people that had backslidden, that had rebelled against God. And he was saying these words to them. Really, it was revelation that was contrary to the situation. Because what Isaiah was prophesying was in direct contradiction to where the nation was. They were depressed. They were oppressed. They felt like giving up. They felt like that there was no way out. And they could not stop. It was like standing on the, on the side of a muddy riverbank 
trying to get your traction to keep from sliding in the water. And if you know Alabama River mud, it is impossible to stop. I want to, I want to, and I said that because I want to say this. The Lord dealt with me about people that were in bondage, whether it's because of rebellion in your life, whatever it's caused by is beside the point. But you're in, you're in, you're struggling, you're battling, and, and your relationship with God has not been yielding any fruit. There's no life coming out of you. There's no spiritual joy in your heart. There's nothing about God that's working and operating in your life. And you wonder, God, where are you and how will I ever be able to get out from under this bondage? There are people that are listening to me this morning that you're sitting there and you're saying, I am in this place and I can't seem to break it. I can't seem to get out of it. I can't seem to shake this. And, and uh, whether it's something that's passed down from family in previous generations or whether it's a decision that you made, whatever it might be, I want to give you some ideas and some understanding today that I believe that God wants to change your life with. Listen, there are three points ab about your body Three points about your body that will determine the direction of your steps. The first one is your seeing. Your eyes see it, and your eyes have a big determining factor of the direction that your feet go. The second one is your hearing. What you hear has a big impact on what you follow and where you go. The third one is your speaking. The mouth, out of the three, seeing, hearing, the mouth is the greatest of the three. Because when it comes out of your mouth, it is usually because your eyes have seen it, and your ears have heard something, and your mouth is simply solidifying the direction that you're going to go. Because my mouth responds based upon what I've seen with my eyes and what I've heard with my hearing. Now I want you to keep this in mind that Isaiah is prophesying something future to the nation of Judah. He is prophesying something that has not yet taken place. But what he's telling them is this. Sing. Alright? So understand that my seeing affects my direction. My hearing affects my direction. My talking has a great effect on my direction. Because when I start talking about what I've seen and what I've heard, my ten toes tend to follow the direction that my words are speaking. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 20, it said, from the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. 
He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life, in verse 21, are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. We hear verse 21 a lot. But have you ever noticed verse 20? From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. The power of your words can determine life and death. That's what the Bible says. What comes out of your mouth can determine the state of mind that you're in. What comes out of your mouth can determine the the state of mind that your children are in comes out of your mouth can determine the state of mind that your wife is in. It's the reason sometimes you just need to shut up. You see the power of words and what happens with us so many times is we see stuff with our eyes and we hear stuff with our ears And it affects the way that we're talking. And we begin to speak defeat. We we begin to speak in, in accordance to what we're seeing and in accordance to what we've heard. And it comes out of our mouth. We'll never be better than our daddy was. We'll never go farther than anybody in our family. We're losers. We're, we're addicts. We're going to stay that way forever. I'm sick today. I'm always sick. I'll be sick tomorrow. I, I'm, I'm, it's... It is gloom, despair, and agony on me. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. And I know I'm going past a lot of you young folks there. You don't remember that. But I want you to get the fact that you're seeing and you're hearing and you're speaking have great impact on the direction that your life goes. Now relate that back to the situation In the nation of Judah, as Isaiah is prophesying to them. Because if you go back a few chapters, you will see where the nation of Judah and the people there were looking at God and saying, God, have you forgotten about us? God, where are you? God, in the midst of all that we're in, God, where are you? And Isaiah is prophesying to them that, listen, you've got to understand that you've got to change the way that you talk. If you go back to Isaiah 53, because here's the thing. We find ourselves in situations where we're bound by sin, we're bound by oppression, and, and, and we're bound by so many different things. People that have been in church for years and years are still in bondage. You're still struggling with addictions. You're still struggling with mind, with a mindset of, of the past. You're still hounded by uh, addictions from the past. You're still hounded uh, by perversion that took place in the past. And you can't seem to get 
free of it and you can't seem to uh, break free of, of the stuff from the past. And you wonder, God, is this the way that it's going to be from now on? People, you, you watch people around you and you see them uh, with joy and all of that and you ask yourself the question, God, why can't I have the joy that they've got? Is, is this all there is to this thing called Christianity? But if you go back to Isaiah 53, the first verse of Isaiah 53 says this, Who hath believed our report? In other words, Isaiah was about to prophesy. Let me say it like this. Isaiah put the answer to the problem in chapter 53. And he put the problem in chapter 54. If you want to break the past and break the barrenness, you got to go back to Isaiah 53. And in that... Isaiah prophesied with this question, and he said, Who hath believed our report? You see, the problem, boy, it sure is quiet in here. We might need to get some background music or something going so I feel comfortable up here. You see, you got to understand that that Isaiah said, who has believed our report? In other words, a report is something that, that you hear. Something is, a, a report is something that is brought by somebody else that you hear. And Isaiah said, who hath believed our report? Notice what he goes on down to say. He says, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed. The Lord spoke to me the other day, and he said, Son, you're going to have to realize that the enemy is going to continue to send evil reports your way. Just because you are a born-again Christian and raise your hand and speak in tongues every once in a while and give a dollar in the offering doesn't mean that the bad reports are, done, are not going to keep coming into your life. But what we've got to do is we've got to decide whose report am I going to listen to? You see, Isaiah said, who will believe our report? In other words, what Isaiah was saying was, I'm about to give you a report that's going to defy the place that you're in. I'm about to give you a report that's going to be totally against the, the revelation. It's going to be totally against the situation that you find yourself in. 
I'm about to give you a report that everything on the outside is going to look like it's of no value. But who will believe the report that I give you? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Listen. And here's, here's the reason. I'm going I'm to come down here. Here's the reason. And I didn't even realize what I was saying earlier about Jesus on the cross. This ties so much in it. Understand this. Who will believe the report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now listen to this. This is the report. It says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. In other words, the report that I'm giving you is going to be one that's going to, he's going to come in such a way that you're not even going to know he's around. He said he's going to come in such a way you won't even recognize. He's going to come out of a place that you would never imagine anything of any value coming out of that place. Mm. Listen to this. See, Job, Job talked about this. He said, he talked about a stump of a tree that has been cut down and the stump is still there. And he said, it's dead. It has no life or anything in it. He said, but at the scent of water, a little branch will begin to grow off the side of that dead stump. Now listen to this. He should grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Why in the world would Isaiah said, who has believed my report? The reason he's saying who has believed my report is because Isaiah knew he was prophesying about a, a, about a Savior that was going to come. And if you looked at him, you would never think that he was capable of doing anything. There was a man that was going to come out of a root, out of dry ground. And he would... He wouldn't look like a Savior. He wouldn't walk like a Savior. He wouldn't have a crown on. He wouldn't have all the nice clothes on. He said, you got to believe my report because to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now, now listen. Verse 2 and 3 gives the report of who he is. All right? It gives the report of who he is. And it gives us an idea that if you're looking for the diamonds, the jewels, the throne, and all of that, before you get delivered, then you're not going to get delivered. If you're looking for a mansion, if you're looking for a throne room and all of that, 
before you get delivered, it's not going to happen. Because you've got to see him in his humility before you can experience him in his nobility. Y'all missed that. You've got to experience him in his humility before you can experience him in his nobility. Now, that's who he was. And then, beginning in verse 3, this is what he's going to do. This is what's going to happen to him. He is despised and rejected of men. He is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. I want you to notice something about those few verses. That those verses are spoken in the past. They have an ED on the tide, uh, on the side. He was wounded. He was bruised. I'm not very good in English, but I understand this, that when you tag on those two little letters, E-D, that is talking about something that is not going to be in the future, but it's already taken place back here. Because the Bible says that from the very foundations of the world, Jesus was. You see, and he was wounded for your transgressions. He was bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement of your peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are not going to be healed, but we are already healed. Who will believe our report? You see what Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 54? If you want to experience the healing there, you got to go back to 53. And you got to recognize that I've got to believe the report. But the problem is, ladies and gentlemen, is that we miss the report because of the one that's being reported on. We're like, they were when Jesus was being crucified. Nobody believed he was the Savior because of the apparent weakness that they were seeing. It is the same thing that took place with the children of Israel back in the book of Numbers. When they came to the, the river Jordan to cross over, the Bible says they had sent out spies. The spies had come back. Everybody was excited about this land that flows with milk and honey. But the Bible says in Numbers chapter 13 
and verse 32 that when the spies came back they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched out unto the children of Israel saying the land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eats up the inhabitants thereof and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature the next verse says and we ain't nothing but grasshoppers that's, that's me. But they begin to see themselves as grasshoppers. Now if you go on down to chapter 14 and verse 1, the Bible says, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God, or would God we had died in this wilderness? I want you to see something in those two passages of Scripture. The first passage that I read in verse 32 of chapter 13, they heard something. They heard the report from the spies. They heard it. Who heard it? The people of Israel heard it. There were only 10 spies. Two of them, or 12 spies, two of them were ready to go, but the other 10 brought up the bad report. The people, the congregation, heard the report. They had never seen the land. They had never even set foot in the land. They had never seen the apparent giants in the land, but all they got was what they heard. They heard a bad report. But in chapter 14 and verse 1, notice something there. How that bad report had affected their action. In other words, when they brought up the evil report of the land, the Bible says that the congregation, based upon what they heard, why didn't, why didn't the report of, of Caleb and Joshua have that same effect? You ever thought about that? I'll give you one reason, and there's probably many more, but I'll give you one reason. Because the minority is seldom listened to, but the majority always rules. You better be careful when you get with the majority, because the majority is not always listening to Holy Spirit. Some of the worst times in my life have been the times when I've had to stand right by myself. And the majority was all against me, but I had to stand right by myself. There are people that are listening to me this morning, and you are a minority. But the majority is pressuring you that you need to be like them. You need to follow them. But ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you something this morning. You better draw a line and you better stand up and say, I don't care how many go that way. 
me and my house, we're going to stay right here. I'm not going to be uh, following uh, the crowd because it's a crowd. If one man will stand up for Jesus, I'm going to follow him. If one woman will stand up and say, I don't know about the rest, but I'm going to follow Jesus, then I'm going to get behind her and I'm going to follow him because I know at the end of the day, it is not the numbers that's going to make the difference. It is the relationship with Jesus. You see, the people never saw the land, but they were infected by what they heard. The spies had seen the land. They brought the report to the people. The people had never seen it, but they were infected by what they heard. And the sad thing about it is they were infected by what they heard. And when that got into their hearing, it came out of the mouth. And they began to wail. They began to cry. The Bible says they lifted up their voice and began to cry. And the people wept that night. And the children of Israel began to murmur against Moses. You see what happens so many times is because we believe the wrong report and we believe the bad report, then it causes us to begin to say and talk about things when we need to keep our mouth shut and we need to just wait on God. But yet, because we have heard... Oh, have you heard about so-and-so? Yeah. yeah. I knew that was going to happen. And then that mouth. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, that, I just thought I'd throw that in. You see, the Bible says this, that when they heard it, they began to speak it. Listen, listen. <laughs> yes, Lord. That's, that, the Lord is saying, listen. God had said, I'm going to take you to a land that flows with milk and honey. He said, I'm going to give you houses that you did not build, vineyards that you did not plant. I'm going to bless you in every area of your life. And now the land that flows with milk and honey is setting before you. Cross the Jordan River and it will be yours. That's what God said. But now listen to this. Watch this. These men bring back the bad report. The congregation believes the bad report. Based upon what they've heard, it now is coming out of their mouth. Would to God that we had stayed in Egypt. Would to God that God had killed me when I was out in the wilderness. Would to God that I had died when I was a dope head on a street corner. At least I wouldn't be going through all this mess now. God made all these promises and they're yet to be fulfilled. Would to God that I had died back yonder and I wouldn't have to go through all the oppression and depression that I'm suffering in right now. And notice what happened. God said, I am listening to the words that are coming out of your mouth. And what happened was, God said, okay, you want to speak that? You want to let that come out of your mouth? Then I'm going to turn you around, and I'm going to take you right back to where you came from. Mm. Maybe I said that too fast, and you didn't catch what I'm saying. I'm telling you, 
that when it comes out of your mouth, you keep on declaring your defeat. And there's a spiritual principle there that God says, see, God only operates through faith. God is a great and mighty and powerful God, but God can't deal with your doubt. Listen, I'm talking to an alcoholic right now. You have had multiple opportunities to get free from your alcoholism. But because you continue to listen to the report of people, and you are continually reminded of your failures and your past, and every word that comes out of your mouth is not faith, but it's saying, I can't break this, I can't get past this, I've lost my wife, I've lost my children, I've lost my home, I've lost everything, and I still can't break this. God is saying today, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to go back and die in the wilderness, keep saying it, keep speaking it. But if you're ready to cross the Jordan River and find out what God has for you, then change your vocabulary. So here's the thing. The Bible says in Romans chapter 4, verse 17, what Brother Patrick spoke about last week, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed. Talking about Abraham. Even God, who quickeneth the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were. Listen. The mess that you're in right now. And this sounds so weird and foreign to many people. But the mess that you're in right now does not have to define your future. You are in the mess now because your words have been your death. And you've listened to people. You've listened to the wrong report. And it has defined the place that you're in right now. But understand this. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 17, it's talking about Abraham, the father of faith, that God spoke to him and said, I'll make you a father of nations. Abraham didn't have a gender recognition problem. He knew 
that if he was going to be the father of many nations, it was going to take the opposite sex with him to make that happen. That's the reason God didn't use Abraham and Lot. He used Abraham and Sarah. I just threw that in. Man and woman. All right, male and female created he them. Teach your children that. Yes. But God was talking about Abraham was going to be the father of many nations. And he had him a wife whose name was Sarah. And, but the only problem was Sarah was barren. Sarah wasn't able to birth children. But yet the revelation that Abraham was getting from God is I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And we ain't even got time to talk about Hagar and all that. But here's what happened. You see, you got to realize that when God speaks it, and He's spoken it in that, that book that's laying on your lap right now, that's from Genesis to Revelation, He has declared it, He has spoken it. He's, he said that word is not dead, but it is living, it is a powerful word. God said he has spoken that word. And you got to realize that when God speaks a word, that word will not return to him void. But that word will accomplish what he has sent it out to accomplish. He said, when I speak a word, it is like the rain and the snow that comes down out of heaven and waters the earth and causes it to bring forth and bud. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void. So, the Bible says that Abraham believed in hope against all hope. He believed in hope. To make the, the story real short, Sarah had a child named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons that became the 12 tribes of Israel. So here's the thing. God is a God that, that calls things that are not as though they are. There's a principle there that we need to understand that you can't continue to call yourself defeated even though you're sitting in the defeated chair. You can't continue to say, I will never make it. I will never be whole again, while, even though you're sitting in the, in the sick chair. I started this morning to get some people up here and just get them to sit here and, and, and illustrate this to you because I want you to understand it. God wants you to walk in wholeness. Sir, it is not God's intention that you continue to struggle and battle with pornography for years and years. It is God's desire that that pattern be broken in your life. If you don't break it in your life, then look out for little Junior or little Sissy because she will follow in the spiritual steps that you are setting. 
So here's the thing. Isaiah was telling the people of Judah to prophesy your future. He said, enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch forth the curtains of your habitation. Spare not. Lengthen the cords. Strengthen the stakes. That last part ties in the first three. Enlarge your tent. Stretch forth the curtains of your habitations. Lengthen the cords. And then he said, strengthen the stakes. <laughs> Somewhere down the line, you need to get you a stake and get you a hammer and drive it down in the ground and say, this is what I'm going to anchor to. I will not move. This stake will not be shaken. I, I read this a few weeks ago, and I pictured it was almost like a vision that came into my mind, and I was seeing people out stretching their tent, lengthening the cords of their tents, and making their tents bigger. And I pictured in my mind that they were stretching things forth, pulling things out. There was resistance. That word stretch lets us know that there's going to be some resistance, but you got to stretch it out. You got to pull it out. And when you get it pulled out, anchor that thing down so it won't come out. And he said, I, I, and I saw that. They were lengthening. They were making room for a move of God. Listen, if you want God to move, you got you to gotta make room for him to move. What God was saying was this, and, and, and this is my idea of it. God was saying to the nation of Israel or to the nation of Judah, it, you know where you are right now. You're in bondage and, and you're uh, uh, messed up because rebellion and sin. If you want to get out of that, you've got to expand the place of my dwelling. You got to make it bigger. You got to get out of this small tent mentality and realize that God is saying, I want to do something greater in you. I know y'all afraid the buffet is going to be closed down before I get through. Here's the thing. Everything that we're talking about today flows from the cross. Isaiah 53 is a picture of the cross. It is a picture of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Everything about Isaiah 54 is a result of what took place on the cross. Everything that goes on in Isaiah 55 is a result of enacting Isaiah 54. So how do we do that? And I'm going I'm to give, this is real quick, and, and I'm landing. You've got to realize that it is not about the report from people, but it's about my reaction to the report. In Acts chapter 4, there's a story there. I'm going to just paraphrase it to save time. But in Acts chapter 4, there's a story there. A great miracle has taken place. Peter and John was going down to the gate. Beautiful. They healed the lame man that had been there for years and years. God restored him. That's when Peter looked at him and said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. 
rise up and walk and and Peter reached out his hand the man took him by the hand and he stood up and began to walk it was a great miracle the first miracle that took place after the day of Pentecost but here's the thing as a result of that miracle the enemy came in to attack the devil immediately came in and began to attack Peter and John wound up in front of a, a, a court uh, uh, people that were, and, and eventually they, they said, we can't do anything about the miracle that, that took place, but we're just going to tell you, you need to shut up about Jesus. You need, you need to quit talking about him. Don't say anything else about him, uh, and, and that's all we can do. And they released him. All right? It was, it was, it was a turning point because persecution was about to begin to come to the church but listen to this the Bible says that when they released Peter and John Peter and John didn't run to the counselor they didn't find a psychiatrist they didn't go out and get an AR-15 and go back and shoot everybody up. The Bible says that Peter and John went back to their own company where everybody was gathered waiting to hear what was going on, Brother Patrick. And the Bible says that Peter and John reported to them all that had taken place. I can hear Peter saying, man, I tell you what, I was scared to death. Man, they told me not to talk about Jesus no more. They told, told me I needed to be quiet about that. They didn't want to no, no more miracles going on or anything like that. And, and so he reported everything that had happened. Here's the key. The Bible says that when they had given them the report of all the bad and the negative that had taken place. The Bible says that the company of believers got on their face before God and began to pray. God, you've heard what they said. God, you know their threatenings. God, you know what we've been told. God, you know the situation that we're in. Everything about me right about then is from the outside is saying, you need to fear. You need to be scared. You need to worry. You need to be stressed out. This is never going to work. They're never going to put up with this. We're going to be defeated. But they press through. They begin to pray. And they begin to say, God, you know where we are. God, you know what's going on in our, in our midst. You know the battle that we're fighting. You know what the devil has said. You know what the devil is wanting to do. You know how he's wanting to stop us before we ever get started. And the Bible says, the Bible says that as they were praying.
See, prayer will do what you can't see with your eyes and what you can't hear with your ears. Prayer will take the bad report and turn it around. Listen, as they were praying, there began to be a shaking. Read it. It's in Acts chapter 4. The place was shaken with the power of the Holy Ghost. And if you read a little bit past that, you'll find out where signs and wonders begin to follow. You'll find out where people begin by the thousands begin to be saved. Why? Because somebody said, I have heard the report, but I'm not going to believe it. I am not going to succumb to what man is reporting to me. What would have happened, man, it's so hard to quit today. What, what would have happened had the children of Israel in the book of Numbers heard the report and said, oh, talk to the hand. That ain't what God said. I know there's some big, big folks over there. I know they're strong and I know they're mighty. Talk to the hand because God said I could have that. God said I could walk in healing. God said that my children are going to be saved. God said my children are going to walk in the anointing. Don't matter where I've been. Don't matter what I've done. Don't matter who I did it with. God said, talk to the hand. I'm not going to listen to it. It don't matter how it looks. God, God said. That's your t-shirt right there, Sister Natalie. God said. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, if you, want to in, if you want God to move in your life, you've got to enlarge the way you think about God. You've got to stretch your mind out a little bit and recognize that God, that God might want to break some things that man has put on you as far as religion, legalism, and tradition. Somewhere down the line... God might be saying, I want to make a worshiper out of you. And you're saying, God, but I was raised to be real quiet and calm and collected in church. And God said, I don't care how you were raised. I want to raise you up to do something else. If you want to break the bondage out of your life, you've got to expand the way that you think and the way that you understand God and realize that He is not a limited God, but He is an unlimited God. Realize that He is not a now and then uh, God, but He is an all-time God. And I'm, I'm going to quit. Listen, worship team, can you guys come? Can y'all come? 
Oh my, this, I still got 15 minutes. This, Here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. Isaiah said, sing, O barren. I think that's number one. I think if you had to put a value on praise, it would be impossible. There's nobody in this room, hands down, that were any quieter or more shy or more introverted than me. I wouldn't talk. I didn't want to talk. I was introverted. My voice was at the point was so low that when I did talk, people couldn't hear me and because of that, it made me go deeper into that introversion and timidity. I was extremely quiet and shy. But God began to teach me some things. God began to teach me that there are times when your voice needs to be heard. And God began to speak to me about the power of praise and the power of worship. Couple that with the anointing of Holy Spirit. And now I can't be quiet. Because all I want to do is talk about Jesus. But I've understood that in the, in the worst of my situations, in the times when I feel the least hope, when I'm right by myself, I just begin to worship. I've learned the value. You guys go ahead and, and start and I'll hush. I've learned the value of allowing things to come out of my mouth that contradict the place that I'm in. In other words, my body feels like I'm sick. My body feels like I'm going to lose this battle. I feel like I'm not going to be able to make it. One of the areas that, that I, I used to struggle with is insecurity. And I was always saying, God, why didn't you call somebody else to preach? God, why didn't you let Patrick do this? I'm the worst of the worst pastors. 
And I was always saying, God, I can't do this. God, I can't do that. But God began to teach me. And he said, son, right in the middle of your worst insecurities, when everything around you feels like you can't do this, God said, just begin to talk about who I am. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to have degrees from here to the back door. He said, son, just begin to talk about who I am. Just begin to talk about that I'm the living God. Just begin to talk about without me, you can do nothing. Just begin to talk about my goodness and my mercy, my strength. He said, and when you do that, he said, you're going to find that your insecurities vanish away. See, because God will take the timidity and instead of seeing yourself as a grasshopper, you begin to see yourself as a giant. 